Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. Fire, plague, traversing eight time zones with a six-year-old child in tow. Precious few are the ordeals your host wouldn't endure in order to deliver your weekly episode of this very podcast, dear listener. And yet this week, we did all three, traveling from our temporary bolt hole in Houston, Texas, to the capital of the ancient world, Athens, right here in Greece. We caught up with Classical Wisdom's co-founder and director, Anya Leonard, who delves into ancient philosophy, history, and mythology in order to glean lessons from the past that may help us navigate the many trials and challenges of the present, Anya's field of interest covers the period of approximately 1200 BC, the time of the Minoans, through the so-called Golden Age of Athens, to right around the fall of the Roman Empire in roughly 500 AD. As you might well imagine, there's plenty to learn from those tumultuous ages, both with regards to politics, economics, and how best to live what Socrates himself called the examined life. We'll cover all that and plenty more, including a very important disclaimer, in my conversation with Anya Leonard, up next. All right, well, I'm Joel Bowman, and I'm here in Athens, Athens, Greece, not Athens, Texas, uh, with Anya Leonard, who is the co-founder and director of Classical Wisdom Weekly. And Anya, why don't you maybe start by telling us why it is you and I are in Greece together? And we get our disclaimers out of the way right up top. Well, maybe we should start off with the fact that we're married. So that's why we're here together as opposed to <laughs> just randomly meeting up. Uh, though that can happen. Um, we are in Athens uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, we've got to enjoy the summer opportunities while we can. Uh, two, I have a big symposium coming up, so it seems appropriate to be in Greece for that, uh, which I'm sure we'll speak about later. And three, because everybody is telling you not to do it and to not travel. So we would do naturally the yes. contrarian. We, we've always been a big fan of, of crisis vacationing and making sure uh, we can put money in tourists in industries when they need them most. And, um, you know, there's a children's story we've been reading to our daughter recently. It's a it's a little Native American fable from the 50s, actually. And in it, you know, there's a, the chief says to his son, my eyes must have tricked me. I saw this white horse in a field of white daisies. And the little boy goes the next day to check it out. And he says, uh, he finds out there is a white horse. And, and the father says at the very end, you were, tr- you were wise to trust your own senses rather than just what you heard. So we've been hearing about these, you know, horrible fires and the Delta variant and all these, you know, plague and pestilence and such. So, um, you know, we, we needed to check it out with our own eyes. Um, and I'm happy to report that 
it's beautiful and everyone's out and about and, you know, there's not mass chaos in the streets. So it's actually mostly people sitting out in little cafes and doing what the Greeks do best. Yeah, so maybe that's that's the first um, point to mention is that Greece is open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there had been fires um, just to the north of the city and on one of the nearby islands um, when we arrived. But had we had, you know, relied just on our news sources from the comfort of our couch back in the United States, we would have we would never have gone anywhere. We yep. would have been in the fetal position under the bed with the lights out cowering in as fear you do. Yes, you at, do. as as one does <laughs> but so how have you found i mean you've been to greece we've both been to greece a few times now how have you found the the famous greek xenia which is to say their their hospitality this time compared with previous visits uh yeah well just to expand on the concept of xenia for a second right. um this is an ancient greek term uh that is basically the fundamental principle of of homer's Odyssey, that uh, there is a special relationship that guests and hosts are supposed to have. Um, In the ancient Greek world, one treated their guests with uh, following very strict rules, such as, you know, you always bring a gift and you always, you know, act very appropriately. When you're the host, you're not supposed to ask too many questions before your guest is fed. Not not even their name. Yeah, you don't even have to ask their name. Now, in the ancient Greek world, you did this because uh, Zeus himself was the god of Xenia, Zeus Xenia, and he could be in disguise and was very likely to zap you if you were an inappropriate guest or host. So always bring that gift when you go to a friend's house. Um, uh, But but the Xenia is alive and well. And, uh, you know, it's actually really cool being here right now because uh, it's sort of like going back in time. And, you know, the first time I traveled here was in the late 90s. And since then, budget airlines have exploded. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of times we came to Europe, I noticed it sort of felt like, you know, Disneyland or something. Yeah. It, it, the authenticity of a place was in doubt when you seem to be only surrounded by other tourists and it kind of takes away a bit of the the feel of actually enjoying another culture. And I have never been here and heard so much Greek. I mean, you're actually right. surrounded by Greeks, uh, which is awesome, um, just selfishly. Uh, but also the, the Greeks seem very, you know, they're characteristically warm and welcoming uh, and they seem so happy to have tourists here. Um, so it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful time to be here. I'm really happy that we're here. I'm really happy that we can contribute to the local economy uh, and enjoy ourselves in the process. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful weather we've had too. It's been a bit of a heat wave, but listeners might be able to hear uh, a thunderstorm brewing in the background that was holding off until we hit record. And now I think the thunder's uh, coming in. So. Yeah, and also we were supposed to go and <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe, see maybe, the Parthenon directly Zeus, after this. Maybe Zeus's ears were burning when you were talking yeah, about yeah, him, yeah. him before. He's like, ooh, I'm going to be on this show. I better like make an appearance. Better pipe up, yeah. <laughs> so uh, harkening back to what you just said then about time travel and kind of going back to quainter times, you and I were remarking on this over dinner last night, which we had right next to the ancient Acrop- uh, ancient agora, and um, we were talking about the difference in I don't know if, if the if the delineation is old world versus new world or European versus American, but or Latin versus non Latin. But I like this cafe culture where people they sit outside. There's a sense of the public space that goes all the way back to the agora. 
the exchange of ideas. And we were kind of um, uh, contrasting that with what we have experienced for the last couple of months in the US, where we are in Houston, where you have people very much in their own, you know, their own houses, their own boxes, their own offices, and trying to trying to hypothesize about what that might mean for a sense of community, what that might mean for a kind of the atomization of society that we've talked about, that kind of fragmentization where people are, uh, you know, they're individuated and they don't feel part of a community that, you know, and this feeds into things like cancel culture and all stuff, which we might get along uh, to talking about in a second. But what's your, what's your take, you know, as we spend afternoons in in cafes you know sipping coffees and uzo and 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 being part of a kind of bigger community yeah i think people are more aware of their community when they're seeing it and right. it's and i think in the us uh, it is problematic that people can exist in these echo chambers and i think that's what leads to more extremity more polarization uh, and of course you can see it you know, in social media or everybody watching their own individual Netflix channels and their own beds and and transporting separately and all that. Now, of course, this is a trend that was accelerated by a pandemic because right. people are told to be more in lockdown. The irony is, is like where we live in Argentina, they had, you know, one of the world's largest lockdowns. And the irony is, is that once you did open up public space again, people... The, the cases actually went down because people right. were meeting in public in open air spaces rather than privately indoors with indoors. the air conditioners yeah. on and yeah yeah <laughs> but I think I do think it's really important to have that greater sense of community um, I think it takes people outside of looking inwardly all the time mm -hmm. and refocuses their attention I think that's very healthy um, both for an individual's mental health and philosophy as well as right. for building a better community and a family and all that stuff. So I, I, think, I do think it's very valuable. Right. So talking about community, I know that over the past year, um, your Classical Wisdom Weekly community has grown exponentially. Uh, and just through anecdotal evidence, like your webinar attendance, uh, your email signups and people, you know, maybe it's partly because of the lockdown or maybe that kind of accelerated this trend. But people seem to be looking for answers, you know, maybe to existential questions that they hadn't asked before. But now that they're, you know, zooming to the office and they've got time to think or they're just wondering, at, you know, about the big questions because they're faced with some, with an existential threat, um, they're driven into the arms of ancient philosophies and they're coming to the realization that, hey, people have been asking these questions, you know, whether it's here at the ancient Agora or you know, just wherever that have been asking this for thousands of years. So why don't you talk a little bit about how, you know, you've seen that trend developing uh, over the past year in particular? Yes. I mean, uh, plagues aren't anything new, you know what I mean? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's something that's happened again and again. Natural disasters have happened again and again. Um, and so I think it is really valuable to remember that even when things are really bad or stressful, that, there are ways out that it will finish, that life does go on. And, this too shall um, pass. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the more popular trends of recently has obviously been on Stoicism mm -hmm. and the Roman 
philosopher king Marcus Aurelius. Um, and when he was a ruler, there was the Antonine Plague. And, you know, he had to write during that and think about that and, and contemplate how to run a country as well as how to be an individual during that kind of plague. And so reading his words and contemplating how previous thinkers have dealt with these things gives us a lot of perspective, brings us a lot of comfort. Um, I think also people are indoors a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So they're, they're more time to just commit to watching something valuable and, and reevaluating what time is like and right. how to spend it. And I, and I think also when you have these ideas of, of something that's affecting the whole world at once, something that uh, is potentially putting you and your family in jeopardy, you also take a moment to take for granted. I mean, be more grateful about what you have in your life and to, to appreciate it. Uh, and I think those are elements that make you want to spend your time thinking about philosophy and history mm -hmm. and, and how to spend one's life in a good and ethical manner. Right. Um, you mentioned Stoicism there, and we had the good fortune last night of uh, speaking with Mr. Donald Robinson, who's going to be one of the speakers at your upcoming symposium, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, in addition to Stoicism, um, are there any other kind of movements or philosophies that you see um, or that you value that you think people can, you know, kind of cherry pick from and sort of take, you know, if you're not kind of a hardcore Stoic, maybe you want to take a few of the aspects of Stoicism, a few aspects of maybe skepticism with regards to not <laughs> believing everything you read in the news these days or... I mean, I don't want to fill in your answer for you, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I stop, <laughs> um, Yeah, okay. Well, so, as Joel knows, I believe very strongly in the art of cherry-picking. Um, I don't think that you're going to find any philosophy anywhere in the ancient world or modern world or from anywhere in the world that you can just buy wholesale and be like, I believe in every single element of this. Mm -hmm. um, because we're all individuals and there's going to be different elements of different philosophies that are going to appeal to us both in different times in our lives and different moments in our lives and in different circumstances. So um, there are a lot of great things that Stoicism has to offer. And um, I like to think of it maybe as a gateway drug of, to philosophy, ancient philosophies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very accessible because it has Marcus Aurelius and his meditations as a great jumping off point. And you have Epictetus, um, you've got books that you can read about. Them. So it's, it's really focused uh, on something tangible that people can can really read. But it also is a great introduction in how to think about things. Um, and I think one of the first points of Stoicism that's really valuable for people is to acknowledge what's in our control and what's not in our control. And with things that aren't in our control, to learn to, to let go of that control. And a lot of these things are like, how other people view you, you know, or, right. or other people's opinions about you. When you let go of that, you're really much freer um, to spend your time thinking about better things. Uh, and, and to your question, yes, skepticism. Um, I, you know, skepticism today, like it almost sounds like a dirty word, but it, it actually can fulfill a whole spectrum of meanings. And it can be to questioning, you know, known knowns and and to being like a skeptic all the way to questioning knowledge itself and to to ask can we ever know anything so right. 
I think somewhere in between there is probably mm-hmm. a more healthy way of approaching life that to, to bring up the little fable of the Native American. Right. Uh, again, that uh, sometimes we do have to question things in order to find what's actually happening. And if you were canceling a trip to Greece because you thought Athens was burning to the ground, you're missing out on an opportunity to be in Athens. Um, and while, of course, the fires are, you know, it's a, always terrible when, when things like that are happening, um, the reality is is that you can be in Athens and be having a perfectly nice time. So uh, it would have been a shame to lose out on all of your tickets and your things and to not be contributing to Greek tourism mm-hmm. uh, because you were not willing to use your own senses to judge the situation. Um, but Epicureanism, as well as another um, philosophy I personally like, because a lot of it is about focusing on the pleasure of little things and daily things to to take the time to appreciate um, the the small things in our lives, mm-hmm. and then that's and to be present in them and to not be anxious about the future or, or death or it's a, it's a great way to kind of refocus one's attention. But I think no matter what any ancient philosophy or any ancient history brings value in that it takes you out of your own time period. It takes you out of your own little tiny slice of living moment. Uh, and it connects you to this grander thread of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really humbling in that. I think there's something really purposeful in being part of a chain of history and that um, no matter what you're interested in, whether it's, you know, Chinese history or uh, cultures in the Mayans or Aztecs, it can be anywhere in the world. But um, being aware of history and its value, I think, has value in and of itself. Right. So that's something else I wanted to ask you about in particular with regards to your conference, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, your virtual symposium. Um, One of the things that you do so well, I think, at Classical Wisdom is you take contemporary issues, um, you know, that are are maybe hot button issues or, you know, might be emotionally charged, and you place them in the context of the ancient world and, you know, as if to say, hey, we've been here before, um, you know, and this too shall pass, as, as we mentioned earlier. Um, quite a quite a Heracletian <laughs> um, doctrine of, of the only constant is change, but you've you're able to you know to kind of strip away all of that you know um, that kind of knee jerk reactionism that you get when you mention certain hot button topics of now. So um, you know with regards to being able to bring onto stage a bunch of different people and and your your speakers at your upcoming symposium. You know, they they plot the whole spectrum yep. of uh, political, you know, stances from right to left and, and everything in between. H- how valuable is it to you to be able to, you know, kind of step outside your own, you know, contemporary time frame and, uh, and bring in all those different voices to be able to contribute in a way that, you know, it, it might be stifled just given the confines of, of modern discussion and debate? Yeah, I mean that's it's very well put. And um, the being able to see things in a different time period takes the emotion out of it, of course. Um, but you know they say history doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes. So it's it's valuable to see what worked and what didn't work, mm-hmm. uh, because that can inform our own decisions. Uh, and I think it's valuable to have people from different points along the political spectrum because they will have completely different insights now. 
if you really want to get to the truth of something, then you need to hear opposing ideas. Like right. if you're just hearing your own ideas coming back at you, you will never learn anything. Um, and you know, they, they say sometimes the best thing is, is to lose an argument because mm -hmm. that's the only way you know that you're actually learning something. So the, the value of having different perspectives, um, you know, you, 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 it's invaluable. So I'll give a perfect example. People love to compare the fall of the Roman Empire with the fall of the American Empire or potential fall of the Ameri American Empire. Um, but a lot of times people are making that comparison without knowing much about the Roman Empire. So if you're going to make that comparison and you want to learn from it, then you should study why the Roman Empire fell in the first place. Um, and I have among my speakers um, professors who believe very different reasons for mm -hmm. why the Roman Empire fell. So. I know people who are interested in economics will often talk about inflation, you know, and the monetary systems and this sort of over-bureaucratic bloating of an empire resulting in its decay. Um, and if that's your angle of why the Roman Empire fell, then addressing monetary reasons is, is key. Right. But then I'll have other professors who believe strongly that Rome wasn't didn't commit suicide. It was murdered. It was the barbarians. It at the was gate. the barbarians yeah. at the gate. And <laughs> if you think that is a more accurate comparison, then increasing military spending and your right. military presence is actually key. So your takeaway is going to be completely different depending mm -hmm. on what you think are the main causes for why something happened. So if if we do want to learn the his the lessons of history, and we should. We should learn the lessons. I mean, they're all there for us. Right. We, we have so much knowledge. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you see Hitler invading Russia, right? If you and didn't you're know like, Napoleon. <laughs> you're like, what an idiot. Napoleon right. just, I mean, he, right. it wasn't even that long ago. And, like, you know that Hitler's um, had generals, like, had read about Napoleon. And yet did the exact same mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, being in Russia in the wintertime is a dumb idea. Right, unless you're the Russian army defending. It's a yeah. good tactical position. For well, that. yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the point is, why would you do something so stupid again when you had the history book telling you that that wasn't going to work? Right. So we have all this history, and unfortunately, there is a trend at the moment where people, like, think that we shouldn't learn from history. And you kind of want to say to them, why would you want to repeat the same mistakes? Like, right. And if we're going to move and progress as society, if we're going to get past difficult times like pestilence and plague, then we should be learning how people did it, even if they did it the wrong way. That's right. a valuable lesson. So this gets to, well, a couple of points. It gets to when you were talking about that, the dialectical framework before about having a discussion with somebody and quote unquote losing Mm -hmm. the the debate or or the interchange i guess it depends on your your position or your goal in that discourse if your aim is getting at truth then however yes. you get at it or whomever comes up with the idea then you've both won yep. if you get a little closer to what you think is is truth provided you're not a, an extreme skeptic and you think truth is unknowable but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the extreme adversarial position where we're just trying to one up one another uh, or we're just trying to get a little soundbite where we get a little gotcha moment. Um, that seems to be more of a product of 
of, you know, the, it, we get back to this modern kind of concept of cancel culture where it, it seems not to be as much uh, involved with trying to determine what truth might actually be to the extent that we can at all, mm -hmm. and rather with beating down the opponent, which in one case, if nobody's getting at truth, then that's just kind of a race to ignorance. Yeah, and, you know, you think of the, the premise of almost all major philosophies and even indeed religions, that the only way you're really going to find happiness, contentment, wisdom, knowledge is first to take down the ego, you know? Right. You gotta start with, I know that I know nothing. So if everyone's spending all their time trying to show off how smart they are, beat each other in the point, mm -hmm. they're never gonna get to truth, but then they're also never gonna get to wisdom. They're never gonna get to contentment. They're never gonna get to happiness. So I think again, when we bring up the value of learning ancient philosophies and indeed philosophies in general is a way to have an outlook on life that will help you genuinely be a better, happier, more interesting, interested person, uh, which in, has a knock-on effect of helping your family, helping your community, mm -hmm. helping your business. I mean, it, it is uh, really important to change, uh, or to, not to change, to be aware of how we look at our lives and how we look at the world around us uh, and how we should live in our lives. Just right. to ask those questions, I think, is the... The most important thing. And, and pro yeah, the first step, yeah. uh, I would say, to, to knowing thyself, as mm, Socrates yes. would say. So um, let's get back to this history, uh, you know, doesn't repeat, but rhymes. The theme of this year's virtual symposium, this is your second one that you've held, mm -hmm. um, is the fall of nations, the end of empires. Yep. Um, you know, this may resonate with some of our listeners who have been, uh, you know, reading, among others, Bill's columns for the past a uh, few decades and him ruminating on on the you know the the late stage decay of the American empire. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the theme and in particular some of the speakers that you have because you've got a, a really star-studded lineup this year which is uh, is fantastic to see. Yeah it's actually it's really really exciting um, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, we literally have some of the most celebrated historians, philosophers and classicists alive today uh, joining us. Um, so it kind of started off last year, I actually did the symposium on power and politics. And this year before putting together the theme, I, I kind of came up with like 20 different ideas and I kind of, I put it to the classical wisdom community, I put it to our audience and thousands and thousands of people replied in with what they, they wanted to discuss. And this was what won out. So it's, it is clearly a theme that people are interested in, that they want to know about, um, different empires and nations, how they rise and fall is, is a fascinating subject, but I think it has real world implications on mm -hmm. how we can view our current events and make decisions on where we're going in the future. So um, with the classics in general, I usually try to kind of cover three broad topics, which is the philosophy, the history, uh, as well as like the mythology and the literature. So um, you know, mythology, we, we do discuss divine empires and, and, and that's always just really interesting. Mythology is, is just fascinating tales in and of themselves, but they, they have interesting stories mm -hmm. and morals and lessons tied within, uh, for the more poetic amongst us. And, and maybe not so departed from the men and that invented them, the men and women and, who, who imagined, the rise of the Titans, the fall of the Titans, the rise of the Olympians, that it all kind of intermeshes with 
um, with very human emotions of, of, you know, envy and vengeance and hubris and all those kind of eternal universal. Yes, they're, uh, they're timeless themes. And to your point previously, sometimes we can see meaning and lessons and stories resonate when they're less personal. Mm-hmm. So when we can, we can see these, these messages in a myth and they take it home um, in a way that we might not be able to see in our own lives we can project our problems and yeah, shortcomings yeah. onto the gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we also have a lot of historians. Um, we have prominently Neil Ferguson. Uh, y- your readers might be more familiar with him for the, the ascent of money and civilizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's actually uh, bringing out a new book called Doom on the politics, timed. <laughs> politics of catastrophe. Uh, so he's going to be doing uh, a speech on that, but also doing a panel discussion uh, along with Angie Hobbs, who is uh, often on BBC and uh, BBC podcasts as well. Um, and she is a philosopher in the UK, uh, along with um, James Hankins, who is the professor of classics at Harvard um, and is actually a specialist in the Renaissance. So the three of them will, will discuss if empires and nations fall differently. Uh, and what that means to us today. So I think that's going to be a really interesting yeah, conversation. And then to bring back to Stoics, we also have quite a few prominent Stoics. So our next panel conversation the following day will be on the control we have over the fall of nations and, and, mm-hmm. and how we can navigate that space and how can we prepare for it. So um, we have A.A. Long, the man who's credited with spearheading the modern Stoic movement, along with Donald Robertson, author of How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, and William B. Irvine. So that's going to be another great panel conversation. But um, amongst our other presentations, we have another renowned classicist, Edith Hall, um, and uh, we have like a whole spectrum of people as well. And Paul Cartledge is another uh, very famous, prominent uh, classicist from the UK. Um, we also have Aaron Smith from the Ayn Rand Institute. Uh, so a bit of a different angle, but also um, the very popular author, Stephen Dando Collins, mm-hmm. uh, who is a fellow Australian. Fellow, fellow representing the Antipodean yes, yes. contingent. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, many of his books have been made into movies like Rise of 300. So um, he'll actually be talking about Cyrus the Great and discussing the Persian Empire. So for people who are interested and a bit of a little bit more than just the Greco-Roman world uh, mm-hmm. that will also be covered. So um, we yeah we have a really really interesting lineup and there's going to be something for everybody. And uh, Victor Davis Hanson. Victor another, Davis Hanson, yes, prominent uh, yes. fellow with a not not shy of an opinion. Who no, will, not will bring that to bear. Not shy. Uh, he he's often quite controversial in his opinions. People either love him or hate him. Um, but whether you love him or hate him, you will learn something yeah. either from him or about yourself when you listen to him. Right. So I think that's always extremely valuable. And he's a very knowledgeable person, So um, especially with regards to military warfare. So this is uh, and military history. So this is this conference is um, quite up his alley um, with regards to the theme. Uh, but yeah, so it's 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 going to be really eye opening. I think there's going to be something for everyone, uh, depending on what your interests are. Uh, and the beauty is, like, you don't have to sit down 
two full days and watch it. Um, anybody who registers will get the videos. You can take them in at any time. Right. So let's get to let's get to exactly that because people might be a little confused with <laughs> us being here in Athens, thinking uh, that they have to jump on a flight and uh, you know jump through all the, the the hoops and everything to get over here to attend it. But it's not held here in Athens we yeah. just we just came over here because um we'll take any excuse it, it was an excuse to get it was an excuse for for a, a, a bit of a trip but um but it's an online symposium it's a virtual symposium yep um there'll be wine involved and uh and and other kinds of uh, yeah, fest- we're actually, festivities we're partnered with the Bonner Private Wine Club uh who have sourced exclusively for the symposium a really beautiful Mediterranean collection um Unfortunately, by the time this podcast goes out, that offer will be closed. However, uh, if you register, you can still get uh, suggested wine pairings. Um, and the wine presentation is going to be interesting in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So even if you do not partake in the grape of gods, I think you will still find something valuable in that uh, presentation. But if you want to get into the spirit of things, you're welcome to get some of the suggestions offered by the sommelier uh, and have a tipple along with the a conversation. So we're, we really are, we're, we say we're trying to recreate the experience the best we can with modern technology and ancient vineyards. All right. Well, uh, tell us where, or tell our, our listeners where they can learn more about it, where they can register, what the deal is, uh, because I know it's coming up in just a couple of weeks. So you've got a lot of stuff to do beforehand yes, and people soon. need to get registered if they want to, uh, if yep. they want to libate while they contemplate. Yep. You can go to classicalwisdom.com slash symposium. There will be all the speakers, the schedule, uh, and, uh, you can get your tickets there. It's also, we're trying to make this event as accessible as possible. Um, we truly believe that ancient history has so much value in our modern world and we don't want the price to be prohibitive for anybody um and you know it's really cool because the classics have a very wide range of audience but also an international audience Mm -hmm. and you know we have students and professors from tonga and zimbabwe and there's a huge skeptic movement in Brazil and, uh, you know, there's, there's big fans of, uh, ancient literature in China and, you know, so we, we really want to make it available to everybody and anyone. So, uh, it is based on donations. Um, you can donate any amount you want. We, we started off as sort of a basic donation to cover the event, which was at, at like $29, um, which I think is extremely affordable for the, Given like, the speakers, all, yeah. all, all speakers, but, uh, we're telling anybody, even if you can't afford that, you can just email us at info at classicalwisdom.com and we'll help you out. And uh, there's also just a donation box where you can put in as little as $1 or if you want to help support the classics and um, you can put in any amount. We're, we're working very hard to try to... Mm, make the classics accessible to show people its relevance and to keep history alive. You know, it's, it's, you know, Bill Bonner once wrote, it's the burden of remembering. Um, but I don't think of it a burden. I think of it as an honor. Um, and I think it's a privilege to carry, uh, history and keep it alive and to bring it to the next generation. I think it's really, really valuable. Um, and I'm glad to be doing my part for that. All right. Well, uh, congratulations. And uh, before we sign off here, uh, maybe you can 
tell me at the same time that you inform our audience, where are you off to, where are we off to next? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, it, it, as beautiful as Athens is, uh, a trip to Greece would not be complete without a bit of a tour of some of the islands. Oh, I see. Uh, for the history nerds among us, well, all the islands have something to offer, but we're going to go to Crete next so we can see some of the Minoan archaeological finds that are there as well as enjoy the beaches. So um, We better get booking some hotels then yeah, since we're out of here in yeah, we get a full, 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, full exploration ahead and adventure to, to embark on. All right, wonderful. Shortly. A truly, in, a truly Mediterranean odyssey uh, yes. awaits. So... <laughs> Anya, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and for inviting your husband and daughter out to Athens to share this experience with you. It's a real pleasure. My pleasure all around. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.